The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to end the week on a strong note as investors push Wall Street deeper into record territory. But could a big day for options expirations put a wrench in those gears? House lawmakers delaying a vote on President Biden's $1.75 trillion social spending package. We have a live report from Washington straight ahead. More pressure on the company, formerly known as Facebook, as a new bipartisan effort looks into the impact its Instagram platform is having on teens. A key day for the Food and Drug Administration as it nears an all-out approval for a COVID-19 booster shot for all American adults. And Chamath Palihapitiya is helping his Twitter followers navigate the market, giving a few stock tips along the way. It's Friday, November 19th, 2021. We're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good Friday morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Have you checked out the moon this morning? We are just halfway through what's set to be the longest lunar eclipse in 580 years. And speaking of long lasting, this is a live shot of the House floor in Washington, where Republican minority leader Kevin McCarthy is still speaking after taking the floor right around 8.38 p.m. Eastern time last night. We'll have much more on that developing story straight ahead. That's a lot of talking going on right now. Kicking off your Friday morning with U.S. stock futures right now. We saw some mixed moves yesterday, but the futures today this morning indicating some more modest moves again. The Dow was implied lower by only roughly 70 points. The S&P lower by less than one point and the Nasdaq higher by just 55. This after the S&P and Nasdaq ended the day back in record territory yesterday, also at record highs. Semiconductors, the Vanek Vector Semiconductor ETF, the ticker SMH, and the Philly Sox Index all hitting all-time highs thanks to a very big day by NVIDIA on its earnings report. Growth also coming off a big day with the IVW ETF hitting an intraday high. Names like NVIDIA, Bath & Body Works, Moderna helping that particular move. You can see there in the iShares S&P 500 growth ETF on a one-week basis up about one and three quarters percent. Now, big day for the housing sector as well. The Home Builders ETF, the ticker XHB, is at all-time highs thanks to moves in Williams-Sonoma and Home Depot, among others. Now, over the last week, that's up about one and three-quarters percent. Let's get a check on what's happening in the early trade in Europe. Our own Juliana Tattlebaum is live in, li- li- rather live in London. Pardon me, Juliana, with the latest there. Good Friday morning, Juliana. 
Tom, good morning. Well, it's just 10 a.m. here in London, and it has not been a morning for the faint-hearted. We started things out in positive territory. Every region and nearly every sector was trading higher. Now a completely different picture. We've got developments on two major fronts, one on the COVID front, one in terms of a European Central Bank policy. And let me start with the ECB. Madame Lagarde gave a speech this morning in Frankfurt as part of the European Banking Congress and sent a very dovish signal to markets saying that it is highly unlikely that conditions will be satisfied next year to justify a rise in interest rates. So we've had a market reaction to that news and then moments later, news that Austria will re-enter a national lockdown as of Monday. It's the first European country to announce a fresh national lockdown for this COVID wave. We've talked for days now about the rising case numbers across the continent, but this is the first move of its kind. Around the same time, we also heard from the German health minister that at this point, Germany not going ahead with a full national lockdown, but they have implemented a series of new measures to control COVID there and has left the option on the table should it come to it for a full national lockdown in the future. So a lot for investors to digest. And this is the picture red for every major region. From a sector perspective, this is how things are shaking out this morning. Uh, a mixed picture, but the clear outperform underperformer right now, banks down more than 2% in reaction to those comments from the European Central Bank chief, autos, insurance and travel and leisure taking a hit also on the back of the news of these new COVID restrictions coming into effect. I'm looking at the European banks in more detail to give you a sense of the scale of the moves lower on the back of these comments. Commerce Bank down 4.6 percent. Deutsche Bank shares down nearly 5 percent. So major reaction. We've also seen quite a step lower in the euro versus the dollar and versus the Swiss franc. Dom, we'll hand it back over to you. Thank you very much, Juliana Tannelbaum, live in London with the latest there. To Capitol Hill now, where House Republicans have successfully delayed a vote on President Biden's $1.75 trillion social spending package. NBC's Chris Pallone joins us now from Washington with the latest there and what's being said on the House floor right now. Chris. Yeah, Dom, good morning. With House Democrats on the verge of passing President Biden's top spending priority, a key Republican leader took to the floor and launched a lengthy speech forcing Democrats to pack up and try again today. Further consideration of H.R. 5376 will now resume. With a procedural hurdle cleared, House Democrats are poised to pass a key plank of President Biden's agenda, a multi-trillion dollar spending bill with money to fight climate change, expand preschool programs and child care, and to lower the cost of health insurance for millions of Americans. The impact of this historic legislation will be reflected in the greater economic security of millions of families and in the growth and competitiveness of a robust American economy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. But moments before a final Thursday night vote, Republican House Leader Kevin McCarthy of California started talking. Mr. Speaker, we are minutes away from voting on a $5 trillion, more than 2,000 page bill. And kept talking. Because if you tell them one thing and you vote for another, what are they going to believe you on? Into the early morning hours. It's no secret that this bill is too extreme, too costly and too liberal for the United States. Democrats shifted gears, postponing the vote and deciding to come back this morning to try again. The Congressional Budget Office said the bill, as written, would add $160 billion to the national debt over a decade. But its tax revenue estimates are smaller than a Treasury Department projection, convincing holdout Democrats the bill will pay for itself. This was going to be paid for uh, by the wealthiest amongst us, making sure that they paid their fair share uh, into supporting this investment 
in America. If passed, the bill would likely undergo several changes in the Senate to win the votes of all 50 Democrats and independents. And this is a live look at the floor of the House of Representatives where Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy of California is still speaking, by my count, approximately eight hours and 28 minutes after he started. It became clear about halfway through, Dom, that he was trying to set the record for the longest floor speech in the House just a few years ago. Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke for about eight hours and seven minutes. McCarthy has now gone past that and continues to speak. It's unclear whether he will try to keep going to delay uh, when Democrats come back in at eight o'clock and try and vote again today on the president's spending bill. Chris, Chris, will you forgive me for my ignorance here? When, when, when he takes the floor, when, 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 when House Minority Leader McCarthy takes the floor like that or, or Nancy Pelosi does, do they take bathroom breaks? Has he has he been doing this for eight, eight plus straight hours? He has been as far as I, I can tell and been following through most of it. I believe he has not left in eight hours. That's right. Right, this, this is the House does not have a filibuster. This is not a filibuster. He had one minute to speak. But if you're in leadership, you're allowed to take as long as you want for that minute. It's called a magic minute. And McCarthy's magic minute now has lasted uh, somewhere along uh, eight hours and 30 minutes now, eight and a half hours. He doesn't even look tired right now. It, it, His voice pretty, is struggling. He's been drinking a lot of water and uh, taking peppermints. <laughs> but, yeah, he's uh, he's still standing. I'm going to grab some water myself right now in this commercial <laughs> break. Chris Pallone, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Sure. Let's get to some of this morning's other top stories outside of Washington, D.C. Silvana Hilao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Happy Friday. So the Food and Drug Administration is reportedly expected to authorize Moderna's COVID-19 booster shot for all adults over the age of 18 as soon as today. That's according to Politico. The move would come in tandem with the clearance of Pfizer-BioNTech's booster for widespread use. So far, 32.5 million Americans have received a booster dose in the U.S., or about 16 percent of the fully vaccinated population. The global surge in container shipping rates could send consumer prices 1.5 percent higher over the next year, according to a report from the United Nations. The analysis shows that the current rise in container freight rates, if sustained, could increase global import price levels by 11 percent and consumer price levels by 1.5 percent between now and 2023. Smaller countries, which are more dependent on imports, could see consumer prices rise by as much as 7.5 percent. And Macy's CEO, Jeff Kinnett, says his company has not reached any predetermined conclusions about spinning out its e-commerce unit into a separate company, a move championed by Macy's activist shareholder, Jana Partners. Speaking with our own Jim Cramer, Gannett said he and the board continue to weigh the proposal along with anything else that could add more value to shareholders. Dom, back to you. All right, Silvan Hinnell, thank you very much for those. Back to the markets now. The records keep coming in for the S&P and the NASDAQ, sitting at those new highs amid continued strong retail earnings reports and signals the economic recovery continues to improve. And while your next guest says we are in a short-term window of elevated risk, the stage is being set for a strong 2022. Robert Teeter is the Managing Director and Head of Investment Policy and Strategy at Silvercrest Asset Management Wait a second. I, I just want to give hold on one second, Robert. I just want to make notes right now. And if we have the live shot, I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see if we can put it up here. House Kevin McCarthy, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, the, the Republican from California, 
has finally yielded the floor after eight plus hours. This is 8.38 p.m. last night. Again, 8.38 p.m. last night is when House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy started talking about the infrastructure bill or the social spending bill. And he has just now, in the last couple of minutes, finally yielded the floor. You can see some of the smiles coming from some of the staff that may have been there for the entire eight plus hours now right now. The House is now, by the way, adjourned until eight o'clock a.m. Eastern time. I just wanted to, Robert, make note of that because he has been talking since 8.38 p.m. last night. Robert, now let's get back to the markets here. We talk about some of the issues that maybe Republicans have an issue with with regard to this social spending package. That is maybe the inflationary pressures that could be brought about. Is inflation a worry for you at this point, Robert? It absolutely is. Inflation has been lingering a lot longer than most have expected. Um, While I do think that those inflationary forces are largely driven by COVID and logistical problems that will be solved sometime between now and March, I do think the next few windows are next few months are a window of higher risk opportunity, partly from inflation, partly from possible changes at the Fed, uh, debt ceiling negotiations, and we still have COVID lingering around. So I do think we're in a bit of a period here in the short term where we could see some churn. Uh, but I think it resolves itself, and I do have a, a positive outlook for next year. So, so, Robert, I mean, we're showing charts right now of the Nasdaq, the Dow, the S&P 500, you name it. And, and, and the lines are, are, for the most part, you can see, like 30-degree up angles from the lower left to the upper right. I mean, there hasn't been a pullback of real note in quite some time now. When you say churn, when you say a little bit of opportunity, perhaps, how big of an opportunity is it? Am I looking for a 3 to 4% pullback? Am I looking for a 7 to 10 percent pullback or something even deeper? Sure, that's right, Dom. I, I think maybe perhaps somewhere in the middle, and it depends on how these threads come together. So I do think inflation will resolve itself, but it's going to remain high. Uh, the CPI prints will be high the next several months. And I think if you put that against the backdrop of a battle in Congress, whether it's over the spending bill you referenced, the debt ceiling, uh, or potentially the Fed share, that puts that puts the things into into play in a way where I think we could see uh, more of that moderate size correction, maybe of the five to 10 percent variety. Uh, but again, I think that's on a short term basis and the, and the longer term outlook is quite sound. So so then what, what exactly then do you look for in the in those opportunities, maybe in that five to 10 percent range? Is it still mega cap technology? Is it is it the social media companies or are we going those full on cyclical industrial materials type names? Well, one of the things that's exciting is we do have a long runway for growth ahead of us as we put people back to work and reopen some of these sectors that have had problems. Uh, we've done a lot of work that shows that margins have been quite strong. In fact, there's been a lot of concern about margins, but uh, they have done quite well. 700 of the 1,000 companies in the Russell 1000 have margins better uh, than, than the past three-year average. So we do think there's a rich opportunity set. Um, I would focus it in that barbell approach, like you mentioned. There is still some cyclicality in the market for us. That means industrials and materials. And within technology, I think we're focused on the areas that are going to continue to add to productivity. So not so much the social side, but more the productivity enhancing areas within technology. All right. Robert Teeter at Silvercrest. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, sir. Thank you. All right. When we come back on the show this morning's big money movers, including another company taking off in its first day as a public company, then is business travel on its way back? Many industries are counting on it. New numbers, how it's going. It's really kind of shaking out in a very choppy way to Robert Teeter's original point. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? 
Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Welcome back. Time now for some big money movers for stock stories of the morning. First of all, shares of Workday are moving lower despite earnings that came in ahead of Wall Street estimates. The software maker posted revenues of $1.33 billion. That's up 20% from the same time last year, which was just slightly ahead of the consensus at $1.31 billion. Those shares are down 8% right now in the pre-market. Sweetgreen is giving back some of yesterday's massive IPO gains in the pre-market this morning. Shares of the salad chain closed up 76% yesterday after opening at $52 a share and an initial $5.5 billion market cap. The company is now priced their offering at $28 a share on Wednesday. That was well above its expected range of $23 to $25. So big gains yesterday, a little bit of profit taking this morning, 2.5% of the downside there. And then shares of Intuit are popping in the pre-market and set to open at a fresh record high after posting fiscal first quarter results that came in well above analyst estimates. The maker of software like TurboTax and QuickBooks also adding more than $1 billion to its full year sales guidance, crediting its $12 billion buy of MailChimp and last year's purchase of Credit Karma for those results. Intuit now expects adjusted full year earnings of $11.48 to $11.64, those shares up 10% in the pre-market. Also, a big Dow component to keep an eye on this morning. Nike shares are higher in the pre-market after approving an 11% dividend boost to 30.5 cents a share per quarter. This is Nike's 20th straight year of dividend hikes. That stock is up more than 20%, as you can see so far this year, up about two-thirds of 1% in the pre-market trade. Well, still on deck for the show, call it the return of business travel. New numbers from PwC on the health of the travel sector and what's in store for 2022. Today's big number, 93%. That's the share of all assets confiscated by the IRS this fiscal year that were cryptocurrencies, totaling $3.5 billion. The agency expects billions of dollars worth of crypto will be seized again next year. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. 
It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. It's been two weeks since the U.S. officially reopened its borders to travelers from across the pond. And global consultancy firm PwC has crunched the numbers when it comes to the key business travel segment that many parts of hospitality are looking forward to. Joining me now with the findings, Scott Berman, partner and hospitality industry leader at PwC. Scott, good morning to you. Let's talk about just how critical, how important that business traveler is to the hospitality and leisure industry. Well, good morning, Dom. Uh, It's extremely important and certainly the industry is feeling a lot better than it did, say, six months ago. Um, certainly, uh, corporate travel is showing uh, pockets of strength. Uh, it's not all the way back, and it's going to take the good part of 2022 uh, before we can really tell where uh, corporate travel in the U.S. is. I can tell you, though, that that the, the corporate travel market is doing much better and that the leisure segment as well has carried the day. And we have a new term. It's called leisure. And that is the blending of business and leisure, where you'll find a a corporate traveler spending a few days doing business and then vacationing uh, on the same trip. And so uh, we came up with the word staycation during the Great Recession. The industry has created a word for Webster's now called leisure. <laughs> Scott, so, so, so leisure, it's, it, it, it occurs to me that maybe throughout the course of business travel, there has been a little bit of mixing of business and pleasure, but it's certainly exacerbated by the pandemic right now. C- can you tell us a little bit specifically about where you see specific pockets of strength? Are there certain areas that are key to the return of that business travel? Is it going to be in terms of flights? Is it hotel bookings? Is it, is it restaurants? I mean, where do you think it's going to be the, the, the most impact, I guess, will be felt? Well, it's the convergence of all of those, um, Dom. And uh, I think it, it really does depend on where you reside. For instance, markets like L.A., Phoenix, Miami um, are showing real strength um, uh, compared to some of the cities. Uh, up north, New York, Chicago, Minneapolis, San Francisco continue to lag, right? And so when you think about those markets um, that can take advantage of of both business and leisure, and I should add group travel, right? Conventions are starting to come back. The bookings uh, for 2022 look extremely strong. And so those are the metrics that we're analyzing, um, you know, to see how things play out. So, so, so Scott, we need all, all three working in tandem. So, so it sounds like with all three working in tandem, it means now my, that myself, I, I haven't done, uh, admittedly, a lot of business travel, given what, you know, you see me in the studio all the time here these days in the pandemic. But I'm wondering, I've been able to take advantage of some great prices for flights and hotels over the course of the last, say, six, seven months here. Can I expect the same thing or am I going to see prices going higher for things like hotel rooms and, and, and airline tickets as well? 
no question that pricing power um, has been with the consumer, but that is changing. And I think that this recovery, at least in the hotel segment, is going to be driven by the strength of pricing. And so the translation there, Dom, is that consumers are going to be paying more um, for their hotel rooms across the U.S. Now, uh, in high demand periods like the holidays, um, that's when you're going to see the highest pricing. Will there be deals? Sure. But you got to find those. And I would suggest that that period between Thanksgiving and Christmas is a good time to look for a deal. All right. Looking for deals for sure. I'm, I'm trying to look towards next year and what vacations I can line up. Scott Berman of PwC, the hospitality industry leader. Thank you very much. And here's hoping we can all get good deals on travel coming up. Thanks, Tom. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest there. Good Friday morning, Philip. A good Friday morning to you, Dom. In Wisconsin, jury deliberations are heading into their fourth day in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. He faces five felony counts for shooting and killing two men and wounding another during protests in Kenosha last year. Jurors remained behind closed doors yesterday, and we didn't hear much from the judge. And just hours before he was set to be executed, Oklahoma's governor commuted Julius Jones's sentence yesterday. He was scheduled to die by lethal injection for the 1999 murder of Paul Howell. To this day, Jones maintains that he's innocent and that he was framed by the actual killer. And check this out, a live look now at the longest lunar eclipse in nearly 600 years. We're watching the tail end of this. Uh, the moon almost entirely eclipsed uh, just over an hour ago, but it lasted for about six hours in total, Dom. And I'm glad we were able to show you that clearer picture of it because here in the Northeast, a cloud cover really obstructed our view of this uh, event. I mean, last night I remember, not, not, not just cloud cover, we got precipitation. We got some rain overnight as well in certain parts of the, uh, the northeast. So certainly yeah. something to watch there. But if you can get out and you can still see it, please go check it out. Philip Mena, yep. have a nice weekend. All right, you too. All right, ahead on the show, it's the big box versus Main Street when it comes to retail. Industry insider Dana Telsey breaks down the names you need to watch heading into this key holiday shopping season. We'll be right back. Futures under pressure as investors brace for a volatile week to end. A vote delayed why the House pushed off a vote on President Biden's $1.75 trillion social spending package until today. And you just heard about the return of the business traveler. But what about the business lunch? What's going on there? It's Friday, November 18, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. What am I talking about right now? Welcome back. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. So here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. If you've been with us over the course of the past half hour, you've noticed a decline, a deterioration in the futures trade. When we first came in on air, we were implied down roughly 30, 40, 50 points or so. The Dow Jones is implied lower by 100 points right now. We are seeing a leg lower over the course of the last half hour or so. And some folks out there are attributing this to the idea, the notion that Austria over in Europe has now gone into full COVID lockdown. So those concerns playing out a little bit there. What's going to happen to elsewhere around the world? What's going to happen there to here in the U.S., other places in Europe, maybe in Asia as well? So you can see there 
European markets are now at least modestly to the downside. The German DAX just about one-tenth of one percent. The CAC in France off of one-quarter of one percent. And the similar percentage decline there for the FTSE 100. So again, moves lower, not terribly dramatic, but that's a little bit of that weakness that you're seeing right now. Also checking on some of the reopening stocks, the companies that benefit as the economy starts to emerge from the COVID pandemic. You can see United Airlines, American Airlines, Southwest Air, Delta Airlines on the airline side of things, all down roughly about 1% or so in the pre-market trade. They were weaker yesterday as well. Checking on the Treasury side of things, we're watching that benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield just about, you can see there, well, this is Marriott, Hilton, everything else. But U.S. Treasuries, you can see 10-year note yield lower to 1.56%. The two-year note yield just about 47 basis points or 0.47%. Now to a developing story and to Capitol Hill where House Republicans have successfully delayed a vote on President Biden's $1.75 trillion social spending package. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy leading that charge, speaking on the House floor for more than eight and a half hours, wrapping up just less than 25 minutes ago after taking the mic at just after 8.30 p.m. Eastern time last night. Our own Elon Moy joins us now on the CNBC Newsline. That's a long time. I mean, what exactly was the gist? What, what was the point of the conversation there? It's not a filibuster. We get it. But what can you talk about for eight and a half hours on this particular move? Well, he talked about everything under the sun from the border, from the Democrat social spending package to even some personal anecdotes about members of Congress. But it was the longest speech ever on the House floor, as you mentioned, clocking in at just about eight and a half hours. He got a standing ovation from Republicans, at least, when he was done. No, there's a record. There's a record. (laughs) I'm competitive. I'm competitive. Now, that record he was referring to was set by none other than House Speaker Nancy Pelosi herself in 2018. And the point of that speechathon was really to just delay the long-awaited final vote on Democrats' social spending package in the House. It is now expected to happen around 8 a.m., and it is expected to pass. Democrats have finally convinced moderates to vote for this bill after the CBO's official estimate of its cost came out yesterday. The CBO found that the package would add $367 billion to the deficit over the next decade, but that projection does not include any additional money from enhanced IRS enforcement. The CBO said that would raise another $127 billion on net, but the White House argues that number is probably more like $400 billion, which would mean that the package actually more than pays for itself. Now, that was enough to win over moderate Representative Stephanie Murphy. Last night, she called the bill fiscally disciplined, but Democrats have lost at least one member, and that is Representative Jared Golden. He plans to vote against this package because of the increase in the cap on state and local tax deductions. That's a big benefit for millionaires. And remember, this whole vote in the House, this whole delayed process, this was supposed to be the easy vote. There are some even bigger hurdles and potentially even longer floor speeches, Dom, waiting ahead for Democrats when this bill reaches the Senate. So, so, Elon, that, you just you, you read my mind because I'm thinking to myself, what what's it going to play like out in the Senate then? What exactly are the key issues that that folks like Senator Manchin from West Virginia and, and Senator Sinema from Arizona? What, what exactly will they be kind of talking about or trying to figure out with regard to debate on this particular issue when it reaches the upper chamber? 
So there's already one provision that is in this package that we know that Senator Manchin has concerns about, and that is the provision around uh, paid family and medical leave. It's something that he does not want to create a brand new program from scratch, but members of the House were adamant that it be added to the package. That's already going to be one point of contention. Another one is what lost Democrats the vote of Representative Jared Golden, that cap on state and local tax deductions. The tables from the official scorekeepers that show who benefits from that um, tax cut, really, um, is primarily skewed toward the wealthy. And that's a concern for uh, for Democrats on the progressive side. Um, and they are determined to make those uh, distributional tables look a little bit better. Yeah, uh, the, the, the state and local tax deduction issue is a, a huge one, especially because it highlights just the cost of living issues and, and disparities that we have across many parts of this country from coastal areas in the northeast to California and to the interior of our country as well. Ilan Moy, thank you very much for the update there on what's happening with the Senate and the House floor right now. To some of this morning's other top corporate stories, Silvana Hinao is back with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom, good morning. So a bipartisan coalition of state attorneys general is investigating how Instagram attracts and affects young people. The move upping the pressure on the parent company, Meta Platforms, formerly known as Facebook, over potential harm to its users. Led by eight states, including Massachusetts and Nebraska, the coalition is focused on the, quote, the techniques utilized by Meta to increase the frequency and duration of engagement by young users and the resulting harms caused by such extended engagement. This coming as TikTok usage is spiking among younger Americans, according to a survey published by Forrester this year. 63 percent of Americans between the ages of 12 and 17 use TikTok on a weekly basis, compared with 57 percent for Instagram. Back in 2020, Instagram led that demographic with 61 percent of kids on the platform, while TikTok only had 50 percent. And shares of SoFi are under pressure this morning after venture capitalist Chamath Palahapitiya said he sold 15 percent of his stake in the fintech company. In a note posted to Twitter, Palahapitiya also said he intends to increase social capital's investment in Medicare provider Clover Health, but he did not state by how much. Dom, back to you. All right, Silvana, thank you very much for those movers there. It's been a big week for retail earnings coming just days ahead of the official start of the holiday shopping season on Black Friday. The latest to ring in with the positive results yesterday, department stores like Macy's and Kohl's both raising their profit and sales outlooks for the year after third quarter sales beat forecasts. Macy's, like its big rivals, has taken steps to ensure it has enough inventory on hand to offset any supply chain disruptions. CEO Jeff Gannett spoke with our own Jim Cramer on Mad Money just last night. We're just in a healthier place than we were when we entered the pandemic. You look at our balance sheet, we've had the opportunity to invest in our business, and we had a good post today. Thanks to 100,000 colleagues that wake up every day ready to serve this customer. All right, let's talk a little bit more about these retailers and the holiday shopping season with Dana Telsey. You know her. She's the CEO, chief research officer at the Telsey Advisory Group, uh, a guru when it comes to retail. So, so, Dana, I wonder, we have all of these great results, generally speaking, coming from these retailers. It's not just big box. It's also specialty. What does it say about what the expectations are? for this holiday shopping season, one that will be unlike any other? The expectations are moving higher. The consumer is resilient and strong. Consumers have a higher savings rate. Their wages are up year over year. And there's significant pent-up demand to gather and socialize. 
it's interesting that you're seeing, you just had the previous guest talked about leisure, business and leisure. Take a look at what Thanksgiving is going to look like. More families are going to gather together. The retailers overall have been able to manage through these real supply chain difficulties, and they are real. We're going to continue to see it through at least the first half of 2022. But the big have been able to get the inventory that they need and are now planning for Easter. It's so, an exciting time for retail. Their expenses have been reduced. There's a better flow through to the bottom line. And we've never seen as much full price selling. And that's what's going to be the question for 2022. What's sustainable in terms of these full prices that are out there? So, so less promotional environment. That's going to be good. We're also seeing video of foot traffic. That should be up better than it was last year, just given the easy comp during the pandemic. Who exactly benefits as, as shoppers get out to more normal activities? When foot traffic last year of in-store sales is estimated to have been down 35% during Black Friday weekend, anything's going to look better for Black Friday weekend coming up. And most stores this year, as they were last year, are closed on Thanksgiving Day, so you don't have that comparison. I think, yes, you're going to see the department stores do better. You'll see the discounters, the Walmarts and the Targets get their fair share of traffic. But let's talk about the specialty apparel retailers, too, given that People want to dress up and haven't bought new clothes for nearly two years. So whether it's the Abercrombie and Fitches of the world, the Levi's, Bath and Body Works is always a winner for holiday for the holiday season, where we're going to see certainly an uptick. Are you worried at all about uh, profit margins? We've heard Walmart and Target say that they're going to try to absorb some of the cost pressures and, and, and not pass them on to consumers. Is that a short-term thing? Should we, should we as, as investors, worry about those profit margins in the coming two, three, four quarters? I think over the next few quarters, yes, it is something to be concerned about because we've had what's sustainable in terms of these level of margins when inventories normalize. But I think overall, I think 2022 and the setup for the consumer is continuing to be strong and if we can have higher than expected sales, which it certainly seems we're on that path to, especially with discretionary goods, there's some good flow through to come. But I do expect the guidance from the retailers when they guide for 2022, they're going to be conservative in their margin guidance because you can't set up expectations for trees to grow to the sky. Of course not. They always got to manage those expectations. CEOs do. Dana Telsey, thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. Thank you. you Coming too. up on the show, do you have lunch plans? I do. If you're a power player, which I'm not, in New York, you probably do have lunch plans. Robert Frank joins us with a look at how the masters of the universe, all those big shots, are now spending their afternoons. Is the power lunch back? But first, as we head to break, here are some of the big money movers this morning. Applied materials, fourth quarter sales, and first quarter profit and revenue guidance, missing estimates. Shortages are slowing the supply chain of the world's biggest maker of chip equipment. AMAT CEO says fourth quarter sales would have been $300 million higher without some of those supply chain constraints. Shares of Farfetch tumbling this morning as the luxury fashion company's third quarter sales missed expectations. The stock had rallied late last week after Farfetch confirmed it was in talks to expand its partnership with Richemont. That's the parent company of brands like Cartier and Montblanc. And Williams-Sonoma is falling today, even as the housewares retailer reported better than expected third quarter results. The company says it sees strong sales and margins continuing into this quarter. That stock, by the way, has more than doubled over the past year. Those shares down 8-9% right now in the pre-market. Worldwide Exchange is back after this.
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Do not adjust your clocks. It is not yet even 6 a.m. on the East Coast, but this morning we are talking about the return of the Power Lunch. Robert Frank joins us now from New York. Just about this time, Robert, I normally think I could use some pizza or chicken parm, but the Power Lunch really is maybe back for real this time. Yeah, Dom, it's always lunchtime somewhere. Maybe for our French viewers, this is important. And if you look at New York City, less than a third of New York City workers are back in the office. But the power lunch is back in full swing. Now, after being closed for lunch for about a year or over a year, the dining rooms of the elite are open and filling up fast. You look at Marea, Michael's, The Grill, La Bernardin, all those big power places, nearly back to their former capacity at lunch. Prime 1230 reservations now really hard to get at some of these places. And there are once again battles over the prime tables because it's all about where you sit in these places. But the pandemic has brought some changes. Hybrid work weeks mean tables are packed on Wednesdays, but emptier on Mondays and Fridays. The groups are smaller. Many executives still prefer to be outdoors when they're dining rather than indoors. Some of the menus are a little more limited, and managers say more power lunches are actually drinking again at lunch. I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing. There are actually fewer restaurants in total in New York City. We lost about 2,000 of the 27,000 restaurants in New York. But there are more reopening and new dining spots like Zero Bond. That's where the New York mayor celebrated his recent elections are popular with the younger power elite. But, Dom, the biggest challenge, as you might expect, and as we've been talking about on CNBC for weeks, the biggest problem for these restaurants is finding workers. Many restaurants have not opened for lunch, not because of a lack of demand, because of a lack of space. Back to you. I totally, again, it's amazing because, you know, I, I thought to myself, listening to your report there, that there are certain restaurants near me that cannot operate at full capacity. They have to shut at certain times during the day because they explicitly have signs on their doors saying they cannot find enough people to staff their operations. What exactly then is the outlook for some of these restaurants? Do these do these power restaurants still feel as though in the winter when people are not going to want to necessarily eat outside, even with heaters and you can't find help? Is it still looking good going to, say, January, February, March? Well, they're really just hoping that the labor market loosens up a little bit. If you look at total restaurant employment in New York City, it's it's still down by about 40 percent. And that's not because we have 40 percent fewer restaurants or that demand is still at 40 percent. It's because they just can't find the workers. And so some restaurants said to me, you know, some of the big power places, look, we want to be back for lunch, but we can't even open for dinner on Monday and Friday because we just don't have the staff. So some of these places aren't even open for dinner five or seven days a week like they used to be. So until they sort that out, they really just can't add capacity for lunch. So that's really the big holdup right now is staff. And by the way, we're not even talking about the economics of opening a restaurant in New York, paying the rent and not being able to sell product at certain times. Robert, this is a huge issue for many parts of the country. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you later on today. Coming up on the show, an exclusive look at this week's insider buying activity, some well-known names and one company's chairman making a big purchase for the first time ever. That's coming up. 
Welcome back. It's time for your exclusive weekly insider buying segment highlighting the biggest executive stock purchases of the week. Now, this data comes from InsiderScore.com. As always, we count you down from five to number one. So number five is iHeartMedia with a $500,000 stock buy by the company's chief financial officer. Number four is Krispy Kreme, the chairman of the donut chain buying up $693,000 of stock. Another insider has recently also had a big buy at Krispy Kreme as well. Number three is Illinois Toolworks, ITW, a board member there buying about two and a third million dollars worth of that stock. It's the largest insider buy in years at ITW. Number two this week is Uber. Nearly $9 million purchased by CEO Dara Khosrowshahi. He bought 200,000 shares at an average price of just around $44.92. This is a reversal as he sold about the same amount of shares 10 months ago. And the top insider buy this week is at Arch Capital Group. A massive $23.57 million buy from board chairman John Pasquese. This is his first big buy ever in 20 years on the board of directors. Arch is a Bermuda-based reinsurance company. Now, if you remember, two weeks ago, the biggest insider buy was at another reinsurance company. That was Renaissance Re. So there's been two huge insider buys lately in this little-talked-about industry, certainly one to watch. So there's the top five. iHeartMedia, Krispy Kreme, Illinois Toolworks, Uber, and Arch Capital Group. It's a segment you'll see only here, exclusively on Worldwide Exchange, and it happens every Friday. Now back to the markets, and you may want to buckle up a bit. It's an options expiration Friday, and that often means an increase in volatility. We have already seen some chopping trade, choppy trading this week, even as the S&P sets its, get this, 66th all-time high of the year. Joining us now is Jenny Harrington, CEO of Gilman Hill Asset Management. She's also a CNBC contributor. I wonder, Jenny, if you're at all worried about the fact that the markets are doing what they're doing right now, setting record highs, and we're seeing countries like Austria go into full-blown lockdowns for COVID again. You know, I'm never worried, right, because I'm a long-term investor and I'm always focused on the long term. So these short intraday choppinesses or even intraweek, intramonth, they never they never worry me. Um, I worry about like much bigger things that are much further off that are frankly, frankly unattainable. Um, so so no, I'm not worried about today. In fact, I'm working on adding a new position to the portfolio, which I can't talk about what it is yet, but I'm actually hopeful today that I get some better entry points because of this. So on days like this, I see it as more opportunity than fear. In fact, as you were leading up to this, I was wondering if I could reach across my office and it's too far away, but I have a bumper sticker that says, I love volatility. Um, and I do love volatility because it creates opportunity. So Absolutely. I, I appreciate days like this more than I fear them. All right. So let's talk about the parts of your shopping list you can talk about. What exactly is on there right now? Well, Two weeks ago, we added JetBlue. So I thought it was really cool that you had the segment this morning with um, with Scott Berman from PwC because his whole thesis on or his whole commentary on the business traveler returning and on leisure on leisure picking up the space totally supported our investment thesis on JetBlue. And where we are on that, and you, you know we're very cash flow oriented. This was in our growth portfolio. So, so they all have to have a high free cash flow yield. But on this one, we're comfortable being early to that. So on these, on these airlines or on any of the hospitality that you want to look at, you need to be patient and early. But here's the easy thesis on JetBlue. The business traveler's returning. 
leisure travel has returned, if not fully, is, is, you know, is well en route there. And if JetBlue can get back to the $2 that they earned pre-pandemic, and you give it a 10 times multiple, which isn't much, it's just less than half the market multiple, you have a $20 stock, which is a 40% upside from here. But to, you know, to your initial point of, do you worry about the volatility today? You need to be patient with this. You need to be early because we bought it around 15 and change last week and we're down on it. That's fine. It's a long road ahead. So that's one thing on the shopping list. Do you want me to do some more? Or yeah, we out of time? We've only got about a, a 30 seconds left here. I mean, is there something else? I know that you're okay. a dividend investor. Is there something out there cash flow wise from a dividend perspective you like? Yeah. So from the dividend perspective, I love some of my core holdings. Iron Mountain that trades at 15 times with a five and change yield. Verizon, 10 times with a 5% yield. Dow, eight times with a 4.8% yield. These are all stocks, I think, where you can keep your head down, collect your income, know that you don't have much risk in terms of multiple, and, um, and just get through this really tricky market that might, that might kind of unnerve you on individual days of and course. weeks. Of <laughs> course. Jenny Harrington at Gilman Hill. Always <laughs> great to get your thoughts. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next, and I hope you all have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.